Cinema Yugen, it's here finally. Today we have we get the best of both worlds, the fastest reflexes possible today, computer-assisted memory, and a lifetime of on-the-street officer programming. It is my great pleasure to welcome the makers of Robodoc, Gary Smart and Chris Griffith. Gentlemen, welcome to Cinema Yugen. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah, thanks for having us. Come on, come on! It's free. It's always most it's always most awkward part, isn't it? When you get introduced, you go, what you say? Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you sound like Robocop to be fair, like that, Gary. So just keep going as you are. <laughs> Chris, I've watched the genesis of this on social media for a long time. Well done. It's been a long time coming, but well worth the wait. I, I remember specifically back actually when you're in the midst of production and Peter Weller was not part of this film. He was he was he was out of it for a long time. You persevered and probably for the better, hey? Oh, without without a shadow of doubt. We we naively I mean, God knows we tried through and through really from the get-go i think you know we i always say like with the project we we started off with thanks to gary's herculean efforts along with uh, mike perez our other producer we only had 16 people confirmed at the start of production for this project right. which is well got gone well over 100 we came back from principal photography with about 64 i think and during the course of that time we were constantly trying to get weller uh, to absolute no available, uh, no avail. Sorry, uh, yeah. Pamba. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's well worth it. He was uh, he <laughs> he was very colourful on ca- on camera. I can only imagine what he was like to talk with off camera. Doctor, <laughs> you can only imagine. Now he's great. He's he's a force to be reckoned with. I mean, you can say the same for Verhoeven, but obviously we got him. I mean, you know, it still took a lot of effort. We got him far easier than we did Weller. We're talking like, what, five, six years, I think, before yeah. Gary was the one to really get him. Yeah. Um, and, to, you know, these people are like built up for you. You know, Verhoeven sure as hell was. You can yeah. hear the anecdotes that we got from other people. We heard all of that before we got Verhoeven. So by the time it came to meet these people, you've heard the stories, you know, the reputations. So you go in with your ass clenched a bit to these interviews, going like, oh, God, what are they going to be like? And at first, yeah, I mean, a lot of these people, certainly those two, might start off like really kind of cold and distant. And you're like, oh, God, you, you really are like this. And to be fair, credit were due to the pair of them, and I think it speaks volumes with what's in the final product and a testament to ourselves as filmmakers. No, they really kind of opened up for us. You know what I mean? And so they they might have this intimidating stance about them, but once you get into it with them and once you hit a level with them, they really open up, and it's just hard to not absolutely adore them. I was kind of thrilled that uh, that Peter's favourite line is mentioned in the uh, the first episode is is... Dan O'Hurler, he's lying dick, I'm very Yeah. That was um <laughs> that's fantastic. That is also my favorite line from Robocop because with all the with all the coarse language that the film is noted for, it's it's a beautiful note that the old man doesn't get that upset. He's like, Dick, I'm very disappointed. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was awesome but yeah you listen you've got you went and got everyone like you said Verhoeven, Nancy Allen, Ronnie Cox, Kurtwood Smith, Ray Wise, Ed Newmeyer, Michael Miner. Everybody, 
everybody who's <laughs> everybody who's everybody in this movie. And like you were just saying, uh, Peter Will was a great holdout. I tell you what, the sixty-four thousand dollar question is: There's been a lot of these documentaries, and of course, Rob Bottin was a big part of a lot of these things. Did you at any time happen to? reach out or, or go looking for him in your oh, absolutely gary, gary I'll, I'll let you have a, a bit of the platform here mate i know you were very much trying weren't you yeah like as chris like everybody on these projects we try everyone you know and as we kind of knew already that botine had an issue with documentaries right. we'd heard a story that apparently did a one for the thing back in the mid 2000s yeah and and basically, when when you interview people, sometimes they're very candid on the interview, and then after they'll they'll say to you, you know, please don't use this bit, please don't use that bit. And we're always very respectful on that. We always, you know, will right. ask I've seen anything you want not to put onto the actual final project. Sure. I think with that project, what happened with Botine was he had said to the makers of this documentary, please don't use this bit I just said, and they used it, and I think it kind of pissed him off. So he kind of said he'd never do any documentaries ever again, which he never did, and then he also then. Went off, the, went off the radar. I mean, Chris will tell you the stories about how we nearly got him. But I know there's a documentary, documentary coming out potentially on The Thing, and they're saying they, you know, they're trying to get Botine. Oh, yeah. I don't think they're going to get him. And we tried every single avenue to get him. And, he, and unlike Weller, who was still on the circuit and was still doing stuff, yeah. he's gone. You know, he's he doesn't do films anymore. He doesn't do special effects. But I know Chris will tell you some stories where we nearly kind of got him a couple of times, obviously, with various people trying to help yeah pri primarily it was i think the closest we got really to him was through the writer ed newmeyer who right. still maintains contact with him Thanks. so that in itself is quite special and that's kind of the the rule of thumb when making these documentaries it kind of happens inadvertently but once you hit that stride that's when you go oh if you know that person get that person in so nine times out of ten we we ended up with a lot of the people on this documentary in the early stages purely because the person we'd interviewed prior to him was like, oh, I'm still in touch with this person. You know, so you're like, right, we'll get him on in then. So now Ed Newmar still has contact with him. And he showed, <laughs> I don't know if you know, there's a UK program over here called um, Phone Jacker or Face Jacker, where the character like kind of does these stupid calls and he wears a balaclava on his head with a pair of dark glasses. Okay. Well, Ed Newmar showed us a photo. He's like, I was actually with Rob last week. He came over to a barbecue. And you right. could have fooled me that it didn't look like face jacker or phone jacker he was showing us. So the guy is like an absolute, do you know what I mean? Like Even if someone's got a photo of him, it's not him. And I'm stealing this story from my co-director Eastwood, actually, because I, I kind of remember this one, but I might have been on the shitter at the time, excuse the term. And um, the editor tried you, calling you, you. him. That's it. Good man. <laughs> i got plenty of those kind of anecdotes. Ed was on the phone to him uh, or rung him. And all that answered on the other side of the phone was just heavy breathing, sounding like a serial killer. So just really adds to this whole like illusion he's created. Do you know what I mean? You know, that's that the two points of call was a photo where you didn't even know if it was him and a call where all you heard was heavy breathing. So the mystique is just continually built up. So if people do get him after this, we might look a bit, you know, idiotic but we tried not like everyone you know you've got to exhaust all avenues and try and use a bit of leverage from you know paul verhoven offered to help us with some people nancy did ed did so you think you're going to get a good bit of leverage but you know it's it's a horse think, and water situation isn't it yeah, 
Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, the same as like with Weller. I mean, if somebody else gets him, brilliant, you know, you know, fair play to him to get him in. But I think we we can clearly, you know, kind of honestly say hand on heart, we tried every avenue. And the same with Weller, you know, it got to the very last stage where we didn't have him. And mm-hmm. we had literally tried everything, you know, and people people messaged us going, why haven't you got Weller? It's disgusting. Well, we'd been to conventions. We'd sent people to go and see him. We'd tried to arrange a meeting in Germany. We'd gone through his manager. We'd gone through his, his some of his friends. We had Nancy Allen contacted him. We had Ed Newmar contacted him. We had Randy Moore contacted him. Yeah, I was in direct communication with him via email and back and forth conversations we were having. And he was no, no, no the whole entire time. Very professional, very polite, you know, despite the fact that the reputation he has, he was yeah. always polite with me on the emails. But then we got him, you know, strike, yeah, stroke of luck. Eventually, got him in the end. Right. But again, you know, I think we we know we you know we could we could hand on heart say we tried everything until the very last thing. And mm-hmm. same as Botina, we tried. You know, the fact that Ed had actually spoken to him in front of us yeah. and was with him the week before. I just think if he, if he ends up doing something, it may be for nostalgia now. That maybe looking at projects like Robodoc, that obviously there's a market and there's an audience for these kind of like these things bigger than what it was before. So I mean, it'd be brilliant. If someone got him, you know. And I, I, you know, I wish him the best of luck. But we definitely tried, <laughs> exhausted that every line of obviously we we could really with him. No, I mean the the man. I, I think eventually, I mean he's he really kind of deserves a bit of a documentary just on himself. Yeah, yeah. Because but, I mean, because, I'm, because I'm sure. of his storied career and and all of the stuff that he did and the way that he worked, which is you know sadly doesn't you know it's an art form that's that's disappearing. Same, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure someone I've had a website or maybe it was on about a documentary called Finding Botine. I'm sure someone was doing something. There's there's a there's a Facebook page called Search for Botine. And I've got a feeling that's the kind of thing that's like Hmm, I probably I don't want to give uh, anything away now, but no, it sounds like something where it's like that can make for a good project. Someone will watch this and go, Yep, cool, we'll do it. But um, but yeah, yeah, you know, I mean it's I mean it's all the more impressive, isn't it? The guy was a baby when he did the likes of the fog, piranha, and then of course the thing. You know, that's the depressing thing. I'm glad I'm not into stuff like football because, you know, all these like 17 year olds that come along and absolutely, you know, in these huge careers. And then, you know, at least I'm like, well, at least I'm not like that. Whereas now I'm what, 36? Yeah. And thinking of I the think stuff that that guy achieved at such a young age, I'm like, <laughs> what have I done? I think it's really important to say, though, it's like we, even when we did other documentaries like Leviathan and we did Brewster, is that sometimes these characters stand out as kind of you know, the big kind of like characters in the crew. And Botine's one of those, same as like Steve Johnson was for Fright Night and Ghostbusters. But actually, there's, there's so many people behind that person. You know, there's 20 other people who, you know, created those effects who oh. didn't ever get the credit they deserved, really. I mean, Bart Mixon's a prime example of that, you know, who only recently has been starting to get that credit in terms, obviously, documentaries and, and obviously and books and stuff on him. And he's working for Marvel still. I mean, there's a list of people, you know, names come out of my head now, Chris knows the names, who maybe never would have had the opportunity to give their story because Botine's the Robocop guy. Well, actually, it's the same as like Phil Tippett, you know, he's the Robocop guy. Yet there's... We interviewed 20 other people who were key to that makeup effect, key to actually designing the suit, key to you know, yeah. design the face of facial appliance, key to designing a meal, who never got mentioned before. So I think it's great these people exist, you know, these, these legends who, you know, who are the forefront of, of kind of the effects world and the film world. But at the same time, don't forget about people behind them. I think we try and do that in the docs. We try and like, you know, really celebrate the people like Randall, Randy Cooks and we did on Brewster and Ken Dias, we did on him as well. You know, you know, Jeff Portis, for example, on Hellraiser, 
Never got any credit for designing Pinhead. He's the guy that actually designed the makeup. Yeah, it's all Clive Barker who gets the design for his little sketch. Yeah, it was actually the appliance and the, the actual, what you see on the film was Jeff. Uh, and now he just talks on that now, you know, over the last few years, as he's kind of become more uh, in the public domain, really. So that's my two, my, my, my tuppence worth on Rob Bodine and his legacy. No, I mean, I, I, I was curious because there's, there's so many, there's so many films that are being celebrated recently that he was, he was a part of and he remains the elusive. Yeah. But hopefully, yeah. I mean, look, hopefully, if and what, I mean, because as you mentioned about the, uh, the documentary that uh, this is on the thing release where he is, interviewed he seems like quite an animated uh, yeah yeah and very passionate well, he spoke at the time he spoke very passionately you know turning up to john Cameron, hey i'm your number one fan you know i want to uh, yeah i want to work he fits the criteria he certainly fits the criteria as well of the uh robocop cast and crew and hopefully that kind of comes across in the documentary you know this this was not your average bunch of people making this film do you know what i mean like egos and strong personalities you know and yeah. what i would do to have been a fly on the wall you know we've actually oh. got some further anecdotes on rob Botine. we've got actually a special feature on the uk edition of robodoc uh, which talk goes into a little bit more detail about Rob Bottin and you know the fact that he kind of you know because he left the film halfway through, not even halfway through more or less at the start of production he kind of got everything up and going but then he passed it on to the likes of Stefan Dupuis to Bart Mixon to Gregor the rest of the Robo team but there's anecdotes we've got further anecdotes about you know when him and Peter Weller got into it a little bit the one night a bar and everything. You know, the fact that he kind of taunted and nearly had a fist fight with Paul Verhoeven, you know, it really is like, it just increases my appreciation for the film all the more, to be honest, to be like, yeah. my God, it really translates to screen what what was behind the scenes. Yeah, and it, and it seems trend in a lot of these films, Robocop and a lot of the ones we grew up with that, that have survived this long time and are now unadulterated classics that none of them were, were kind of very fun to make there was mm -hmm. tons of turmoil it seems like it seems like the films that have that have lasted i mean and i know there's some that, that don't fall into that category but a lot of them had to yeah. either productions post-productions or or even the journey from script to development sometimes i've just got to say this is i mean this this is the most one of the most comprehensive documentaries i've seen on a film period and it's not over I mean, you, you've, you've in, in, in embarking on this, you've got so much stuff and in such depth and you've got everyone, this is just going to go on because you've still got Robocop 2 to deal with Robocop. <laughs> you've got the TV series, the animated series, the Robocop. This is essentially a, 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 a giant film about the Robocop phenomenon. Phenomenon? phenomenon <laughs> that you've uh, that you've had to i can see like you've just you looked at all this stuff when you were done obviously and go we have got way too much for <laughs> one documentary it just kind of formed itself you know like we we set out our, our sort of standard documentaries up to this point with fright night hellraiser and everything is you're looking at i don't know to, to, we're not the first to do these long-form documentaries you know we we are big admirers of the Nightmare on Elm Street, Elm Street Legacy, or Never Sleep Again. But no, we love long-form documentaries. We normally try and cover pre-production, production, and post-production legacy. But with this documentary, because of the amount of people we got, it all kind of impacted on each other. So, oh, hang on, we've got one person per scene here. That's one scene represented for you know throughout the whole film. And that's how it kind of gradually turned into a scene-by-scene -scene dissection. Eastwood starts assembling the edit. 
And then you're like, oh, hang on a second. So once you've got that, that's when you really go out and go, well, we got to get more. we got to keep this going, you know? And it was the set, and we wanted to touch on the sequels a little bit, you know, like in a legacy section. But again, because people were coming out of the woodwork, you know, we got the whole, virtually the whole gang from Tom Noonan's crew in Robocop 2. Right. We got Robert Burke, who played Robocop in the third film, and Fred Decker, the director, writer, director, should I say. Okay, cool. Let's just keep this thing going. And to meet the likes of sort of Stephen Root from Robocop 3. Um, you know, it's like, what the hell? Yeah, absolutely. From office space, bring them over. So now we've essentially got, I mean, like, I've got a baseline edit for Robocop 2, which is about two and a half hours. Wow. And then 90 minutes on the third film. Stylist, I say stylistically different. You know, they're not going to be as in depth, but neither film, whether you feel they deserve them or not, has never really had a deep dive making of. They might have had a, you know, good long form documentaries on the US Blu ray release, which was a bit like, you know, we had started our production before that came to fruition. Right. Um, but it's like, well, what the hell? You know, it's it's literally a Robocop Bible. How popular they'll be in comparison to that first one because of mm. the topic. You know, everyone loves the first film, the second film, not as much. The, but I still think there's a lot of interesting stuff to get out of them, if that makes sense. So, you know, what the hell? And it, it really is just, you know, it's kind of tapping into my childhood, really, of like, <laughs> this is what I virtually lived for day in, day out, was watching these films on video. So, yeah, yeah full circle stuff, really. If you're going to do the whole hog, you might as well, you know, cook it for the full hour. And, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, yeah, because, I mean, like you said, as much as the the original film is, is a monument, the sequel's... There, there, there are fans in there. <laughs> Depending on on who you are, I know my wife personally hates RoboCop three. One time I was sitting watching, she goes, "Oh my god, oh my god, are you, are you okay?" <laughs> and she I mean, touched my head. She goes, "Why the hell are you watching RoboCop three? Turn shit off, my god!" Oh, I, I said, well, "I kind of like, I kind of like the jetpack." Bit, that's a little bit of fun. I mean, Robocop, is, <laughs> you know, but it's it's one of those things, isn't it? It's like I think if you watch it on its own independently, you know, it's it's a good laugh. Yeah. If you try and watch them one after another, you really get that sense of diminishing returns, you know. But yeah, it, I, I think what's what's beautiful though is it's interesting, like the caliber of people per film radically change, really. From the first film, we've got this absolute insane hyperactive energetic bunch of people you know with some strong personalities the second film kind of has this tone and they reflect the films in a way as well i find that the general sense is people really weren't happy with the second film the experiences weren't that great not so much as it was you know like the first film like really coming together to make something good you know and all the blood sweat and tears the second one was more just like dismay really but then the third film has this really nice much like the film itself family friendly everyone was getting on and we tried our best you know what i mean and it's amazing so hopefully that'll translate but you know fred decker's incredibly candid and so's robert burke i mean he was brilliant we'd met him before we met weller yeah. um and same for richard eden as well man like the three guys we got who played robocop yeah. incredible all in very different ways as well so um that's why i'll be looking forward to you know when we get these out is yeah. People get see these uh, being entertained by the you know people who deserve the credit. Basically, I'm so glad that you that you collectively fought on to get Doctor Weller in the piece because I remember that 
for a long time watching the development of of this on on social media as you would post as it uh, was going along and you were collecting interviews and you still didn't have him and it looked like as you said near the end he wasn't going to be a part of it but you know I, he's he seems like such a different cat like i said i can only imagine the conversations he's of- a force to be reckoned with <laughs> but you know you, you feel like your iq is about 20 when you're when you're I, around him i love that you know? i love that oreo story that's in the <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was great to see how sort of that flew as well you know when the doc came out kind of had its little uh viral 15 minutes of fame that anecdote um, talking to the camera when he's replying to oh my you know i yeah. love you but that's bullshit. <laughs> well, this is this is what is great as well. And, you know, I think was a bit of an... I say an education. We found this with the Robert Englund documentary, actually. Mm. As we go through these projects, you do sort of think to yourself, in re- you, you just do what you can. Gary will get the people in place and organized and what we're doing and, you know, schedules and whatnot. But, like, from these two projects now, it's really got me thinking about, wow, well, you've really got to be almost, like, particular... And think about how do you want to do this? Do you want to get the main person first and get all the stories out of them? And then you build up the rest of the people. But what I found interesting, what we what was lucky with Weller is we had these 60 somewhat interviews for the first film. Mm. And we virtually lived and breathed these edits. So we knew them inside and out. We knew all the anecdotes. So come the time you get someone like Weller, you can kind of go, right, let's let's refer this to him. Let's bring that out of him. And so we we're quite lucky with the interview itself, to be honest. We had him for somewhere like four hours. In the first hour, we we obviously have to tee up, you know, oh, give us a bit of a your background. You know, how did you get into film? So we got all these stories. And I'm nervously looking at the time going like, shit, this is going on for 45 minutes. And he's here talking about Sidney Lumet in 1978. Like, so I was thinking to myself during the course, I'm like, right, when he anything he says, if he says someone's a madman, let's repurpose that line respectfully to, you know, Verhoeven or something. If he's not going to go into, oh, here goes my internet again. Is it all right? No, no. It's it, all right. Sorry. It, I it keep, getting this, keep getting this unstable message popping up on my um, bloody computer. So sorry. It was about an hour before he started talking Robocop. Wow. But um, he completely opened up. We had a little off-camera moment where we established that he asked us where we were from, said I was from Wales. He's got family from Wales, so that kind of helped bridge the gap a bit for us in terms of communication. My dad's from Wales. Oh, there we go then. There you go. You've got New South Wales over there as well. You stole stole the name of my home country. There you go. But no, he was great. And so we structured his interview by basically saying like, okay, just in case we run out of time, let's get the most interesting pieces of information from him first. So if we don't have enough time, the generic information of, oh, how heavy was the suit and this and that can come afterwards. But when we still had a little bit of time and our relationship had developed over the course of that, you know, three and a half, four hours, it was kind of a moment. It's like, fuck, should should we just start asking him about all this stuff that people have said about him? So that's when we were able to go into like the Randy stories. Like, oh, so Randy tells us that, you were this and blah, 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 blah. And Randy still has a relationship to this day with Weller. You know, they keep in touch. They've worked on shows together. I think he actually, this first time I've said this, he sent us a photo some years ago when he was working on a show with Weller. And it's a photo from behind the scenes of the show where it's Weller sat in a chair with his back to him. And Randy just pointed a pack of Oreos at the back (laughs) of his head without knowing 
But that was what was great, though, because like Weller had opened up and we knew how it worked in the documentary, the edit. Yeah. That's where I was like, oh, let's do a thing where they can bounce off each other. So, Dr. Weller, what would you say to Randy? That's when he says, like, oh, love you, bro. Don't believe one fucking word out of your mouth. And it just works so nice. I love watching people bounce off each other like that. I thought it was used to great effect, too. If you watched the, the Last Dance, the Chicago Bulls documentary, where they're actually sharing sharing the footage, either on a phone or a tablet, to whoever, and all mates listening to it, and he's looking at it. <laughs> yeah, that's what he reckons. <laughs> that's what's great. I love, I, love, I love sort of changing up the style. I say changing up the styles, but... Yeah. You know, we we primarily do the sat down interview. Someone sat to the left or right, but mm. as time's gone on, and the more we've become involved in these projects and develop them, the more you want stuff like that. You know, like raw, authentic moments. I love that when it just kind of goes a bit off to the side. It's not just here's the answer to your question. You know, and that that's kind of the art of it, isn't it? It's like really drawing out. And I think I think we've for the most part succeeded with our projects. I think you know we did it with with Robert England. I think we've managed to showcase what he's like. You know, I didn't meet him properly like Gary had a few times until really the premiere of the film, right. and meeting him or having time with him, should I say? You know, watching the documentary, which I'd been working on this edit with Gary for God knows how many weeks and months in the run-up, you're like, holy shit, you are really just like you are in the documentary. Do you know what I mean? And so that's what's always quite nice is bringing out that level of authenticity of these people yeah. and just have a good time, you know? Uh, and you you, you could obviously reel off the facts, but if you're just giving us the information, then great. But let's get let's get that personality out and have a good time with it at the same time, you know? Yeah, totally. I remember when I first started doing all these interviews, you know, years back. And I remember one time, I think I was interviewing Tim Thomason on the phone. And my first thing I said to him was, oh, you sound like you do in the movies. <laughs> like some, somehow he wouldn't, like somehow he would sound different or something like that. But I said, oh, man, your voice sounds the same as it does. <laughs> and he goes, why? What were you expecting? I said, I don't know. You might. You might have been putting it on, you know, for that's your <laughs> your stage persona, but in private you have yeah something different. But yeah, no, it's 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 always fun to get to get up in the mix with these people that we have such well that have done the work that we have some so much affection for. And this is an incredible, incredible documentary. I thank you for sharing it with me. It's out and about on on streaming services. It's also coming to Blu-ray. Is so the the parts yet to come the RoboCop two part three part and the ensuing Robo universe is that also bound for the same releases for for streaming and yeah we're, we're, well we're kind of yeah we're we're working on the distribution side or Gary is I don't do the business side <laughs> I just do the creative stuff I'm useless if I were Gary I'd be working really hard because of that fella standing over his shoulder there. <laughs> well, we are we are looking for a Australian distributor for, for oh, Robocop. Okay. So if anyone's listening in Australia, also Hollywood Dreams as well. We we're looking. Yeah, it's one territory we haven't got yet. So we're looking. You should for that give those fellas at you should give those fellas at Umbrella a call. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate, yeah. I would I'd, I'd be careful. Actually, don't say that because I'll end up just going. Don't worry about any money. Just give me all your fancy. Yeah. Yeah. I want that Razor back, and I want that Super Mario Brothers. No, yeah, I shouldn't do that. That's dangerous. They're doing lots of great things as far as um, okay Google releases, and they've also got a streaming service going too here uh, called Broly. Okay, oh, so, yeah. 
we we really want to get this stuff out. I mean, we kind of don't have as much control, but there's that part of us a bit like, you know, Pennywise came out mm. two years ago. Robert England was early last year. Robert Doc was end of last year, you know, and great. We're out in the US and UK, but, you know, it's like, oh, I want my French edition. I want my Spanish edition. You know what I mean? I want a Japanese edition. So here's hoping anyway, there's, there's stuff happening out there that they will get picked up to go, you know, international and certainly down your guy's neck of the wood as well. And and eventually you you probably you'll put it all on one one deluxe release where you get like the whole I mean it's it's, it's, it's going through distributed to be honest. I mean we've obviously we've been working with Screenbox Cine the Cineverse for obviously the first one and they've got the option to buy the second one. Now mm-hmm. we're hoping obviously to negotiate that with them actually free enough. We were talking to them this morning about and obviously just waiting to hear back, obviously some options for part two and three. So we're hoping they go two and three. So I'm, I'm you know, I imagine they would go obviously saying that down the same route as a Blu-ray plus streaming. But yeah, I think, I, I think me and Chris spoke about it before. I think it'd be really nice at the end to have a deluxe box set of all them together. I think there was a little bit of a screw up with the American distribution recently yeah. where they'd advertised some of the bonus features on the back of the case, mm-hmm. which we had provided and then didn't include and we got a load of backlash for that and it's nothing to do with us you know we literally and the, the most frustrating about that was listen about 11 hours before the deadline chris and eastwood were actually editing those bonus features to get them ready for the deadline so they were all sent they were actually, actually the, one, the one was being edited in the uh while i was waiting for my wife to give birth <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so it shows dedication there. Laptop in the room outside. Wait, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was in the room with her. Oh, I've got a photo. Wow. Sound. No, that's <laughs> a I mean, long. It was, it was a long labor, right? I'll, I'll just say that, you know. But I'll, there's that one bonus feature on the the games which I'll always hold in high reverence. Going like, holy shit, man! I remember adding that last effect. You know, just before I was like, oh shit, bear, pack up now. Child's due. <laughs> He's screaming in the back, put the rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, babe, I just need to add the last music track. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully, I mean, that, the that directive is just coming out. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that story itself shows, obviously, that how dedicated lads actually were, you know, all, all jokes aside. And yeah. it was frustrating for us when it didn't get on the release, even though it was advertised. So I'm hoping at the end, especially for the US release, yeah. There'll be a box set which obviously has everything on there. I mean, the UK releases it has everything. It's two discs. It's got all the kind of bonus features on which we provided. You know, it's, it's a real nice release. We've got some posters and some card art and stuff like that. I mean, one thing we've learned as well is that when we were doing Leviathan and Brewster, yeah, we had full control of what the release was going to look like. We wanted to do a comic in there. We put a comic in there. We wanted an O card. We did an O card. We kind of we've lost that control. So I think we're going to really try and push. Moving forward, when we do these deals, that obviously those kind of things are tickers. We're collectors ourselves, you know, we're we're physical media people. So we want the O card, we want the little booklet inside it, we want the comic. So, yeah, I think we're going to push for that. So hopefully, yeah, it would be one final edition at the very end. That'll be we, all. We may have some additional bonus features in. In the shape of a Robocop helmet. Yeah. It's a tiny Robocop inside. We'll definitely get them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah look guys you've nice shooting boys what's your name um <laughs> you've done you've done a champion 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 effort maximum effort 
It's a wonderful documentary. I can't wait to see all of the rest of it because uh, like a lot of kids in my generation, I grew up with Robocop, the cartoon, the TV show, all the sequels. It's a universe unto itself. And our audience at Cinema Yugen not only applaud you, but thank you for putting in this Herculean effort, for giving the world the ultimate inside look at the future of security concepts of the cop. Yeah, we, we just want to say thank you to people being patient as well. We know it's been a long, long journey and, you know, and hopefully that at the end of this journey, people have realized how good it was, you know, and, you know, we've all set out to do the best we possibly could. We could have released it four years ago as a really shitty nine minute feature, you know, kind of just basic, but I think, I think the division was always there to make it the most comprehensive documentary possible. And also as Chris at the very beginning to do the first ever scene by scene dissection of a film, which, you know, it's weird the first to ever do it. So, uh, hopefully people, you know, appreciate that and we just really appreciate the support we know we've, we people have been pissed off we know people have been annoyed we know people have been frustrated we've had the death threats we've had the abuse but we, but we understand why to a degree <laughs> but hopefully now it's sometimes out. sometimes it does yeah yeah and I, I think the funny thing was at the very i know we've got much time left but the very funny thing at the beginning was about the chaos of robocop we had the chaos of robodoc <laughs> and at the end of it all this came out I've it, yeah it's been I've an interesting project Cinema Yugen, as I said, gentlemen, applauds. Let's give them some applause. Yes. It's for you. It's for you. Yes. Christopher Griffiths and Gary Smart with RoboDoc. If you haven't seen it yet, check it out. That's your prime directive. Thank you for listening to Cinema Yugen on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Catch you next time, guys.